Your lips can do a whole lot more than kiss. Your lips express love and speak your truth. Plump your lips with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC for natural-looking results that are completely and uniquely you. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there is a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Dua and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. Two in the know. We are joined by a special guest today. His name is Kane Purnell. He's written some stuff on Bourbon Street Shots. You can probably find him on Twitter at Kane underscore Purnell, talking about various prospects who might make it to the NBA, as well as just talking about general um, scouting and scouting philosophies. And he's uh, he's from Australia, and I'm gonna let Kane say hello here kane where where in australia are you and what time is it uh sydney and right now it's uh almost 8 30 in the morning wow 8 30 in the morning and what what's it like in sydney right now for those of us who are completely unfamiliar with australia um sydney is in the southern hemisphere so they're in opposite seasons from us so it's was it is it gearing up to be cold right now is it cold yeah no it's really cold um like pretty cold in the mornings, like below 10 degrees, which is pretty cold here. Um, doesn't get to around like 20 during the day, really. That's Celsius, by the way. There we go. I don't, I don't think most of, most of us are going to be doing the, the, the math mentally here, but I'll save some people the trouble and, and just change the subject. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> save me the trouble. Um, but yeah, man, like what's, how has watching the NBA been like for you um, in, in Australia and, and what, what got you into all of this? Um, usually it's pretty, pretty good to like be able to watch like the games usually on games usually start like 10, go to around two-ish like the East Coast games. So like, cause I'm at uni, I can still watch a few games like during the days, but if I'm at work, you know, I'll have to watch them later in the night. 
But um, what brought me to basketball originally was just NBA 2K, like back in, it was a few years ago now. Um, and that's what made me decide to start following the Pelicans at first. It was um, the first game I played was the draft year where AD was number one. So I just decided to follow the team that had the number one pick in the draft. And yeah, stuck with them now. That's I, I I can't imagine picking a team based on the number one pick of the draft. And I, I feel like you you're cursed in a way. Um, so I, I do apologize for uh, for ending up with with New Orleans. But um, that's um, that's that's a lot of fun. Any um, I guess since you've been following the team, any favorite favorite moments or I guess there's a lot of bad things that has happened. So, again, sorry. But what, what's like what's your favorite moment of the team since you've been really following them? Uh, the sweep over Portland. Um, yeah, that was probably the best. Yeah, I, I was just telling someone earlier today that the high point in the last like two or three years for me has been winning the lottery. And the emotions I felt there were the, probably the highest I've felt. And it's been on its way down ever since. <laughs> this is kind of depressing, but when you have Zion Williamson on your team, but I, I don't know. Do you, do you guys feel differently? Is that, was that accurate for you guys as well? Yeah, just everything feels pretty rushed, really, since we drafted Zion. It's, yeah, I don't know. It just hasn't been that fun. Everything's been disappointing, rushed. We feel like it's win-now mode when most other stars around the league, really, they've had a few more years than – well, it feels like they've had a few more years than just like one and a half years, really. Yeah. Do you, do you feel – like, for I, I feel like stars these days are now pushing back. I feel like – the patient okay maybe you even get the duration of your rookie contract to fumble around I feel like those days are gone because if you know there was a lot of smoke around Trey Young last offseason and he applied a lot a lot of organizational pressure and that was after two years um which is the same situation science and now he's you know he's two years in is applying organizational pressure um I feel like you look at Luca it's the same thing they're making changes in that organization. They just, you know, got rid of their GM and their coach. Uh, new things are going to happen. I feel like you're starting to look across the league, and all of a sudden, this this patience that people once had um, is disappearing. Do you, Mason? Do you, do you feel like that's fair? And Kane, do you feel like that's fair? Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's it's. I guess it's it's hard to say that too definitively because I feel like in the time in the in the era we're in right now it does feel like there's a changing of the guards a little bit. And so teams feel like they've, a lot of teams feel like they've got a shot. Whereas like, I think in the height of the, I, we went from like a LeBron dynasty era to a Warriors dynasty era. And maybe, maybe there was just this feeling with some of the younger players that there was no shot and like, you know, or maybe it was just personalities. I, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but now we're in this place where, um, you know, suddenly it's, it, you know, I think more teams feel like they really can make a move and, and this, this year is evidence of that. But um, so it's, I think it's a combination of that and just um, players just uh, and like exactly what you said, the player empowerment, make, make, making your presence known and making, you know, you making the, the team sure you make them know you want to win. Yeah, I think a big part of it is um, a lot of teams are realizing there's a very small window to actually win. Like, so at Toronto, they went all out for, to go Kawhi. Well, not all out, they went and got Kawhi for that one year. They got him a championship. I mean, it's very small window to actually make a proper push. So I think we're going to be seeing that a lot more as well. 
Yeah, I think I think that's definitely fair. But so I think, you know, speaking of windows, speaking of these young guys who are now, I guess, becoming more. I don't want to say I, I don't want to blame them. Right. Because you go, you come into the NBA, you want to win. And if you have the power, you're flexing it. Good for them. Right. So I, I don't want to paint them off as like these impatient uh, people. But, you know, they're, they're flexing their power. But speaking of those people. We brought you in to discuss the draft because one, you're really passionate about the draft and, and, and that's, that's really your, um, you know, I feel like, I feel like that's something you're really passionate about. So what I wanted to ask you is how do you feel about this upcoming draft and how would you compare it in terms of uh, historical drafts? People say, Oh, this is a really deep draft. Is that, is that because of the stars that are on the top of it? Is that because of the people that can be found down the draft? Like what, where, where are you at with this draft and, and the overall strength of it? Yeah. So I don't think it's as deep as everyone says, like everyone's saying, you know, you get starters and towards the second round, like you probably won't um, just like looking at it historically. I mean, it will be historical if that happens, but it just probably won't happen. But towards the top, um, I mean, it's a pretty clear like two and two tier group. So well, at least for me, I've got Cade, then Mobley, and then I've got Green and Suggs. And then after that, there's a decent group where you could just pair them all together to probably from about five to maybe 16, 18, 20. I mean, a lot of those guys are similar. Um, a lot of it's going to come down to what team they land on, who develops. Um, but after that, there is a few guys I do like. Um, but most of those guys, they're going to all depend on fit as well. I mean, it's not going to be historically deep. Um, there'll be guys that have a shot, but I think that's just like every year really. Got it. So um, that that's helpful because I, I, I think that it's, it is kind of, it's tough every year. Once you get past the top, it feels like every, every year you hear who the, who the, who the main guys are. And then after that, there's a lot of, a lot of, of shuffling around. Is there a guy that, is there anyone in that second or that's so that not that's, I guess the third tier. So below the top four, is there a guy that you especially like and whether that's a group of 10 to 16 players, you said that can really fall in that range. Is there, is there someone else you feel like is maybe, um, you know, not getting the credit they deserve and should be, you know, in consideration for the fifth pick? Um, Not, not really. Um, I think like there's a, there's a few top tier like the guys at the top of that tier, like Kaminga, Scotty Barnes, but like there's plenty of flaws with all these players. So like I can definitely see like every, the mainstream boards, they're pretty much, you know, Kaminga, Barnes, like Davion Mitchell. But personally, you know, I like a lot of other guys, um, Franz Wagner, Jaden Springer. Um, I kind of like Keon Johnson. So if someone did have oh, Giddy as well, I'll throw him in there. Um, there's a lot of guys like that. If you put them up there, I'm not going to have any arguments really. I just prefer my other guys. So it seems like when it comes to historical drafts, the the bell curve of this is going to be similar to drafts in, in the past, which is not that surprising because I feel like people talk about, oh, this draft is going to be amazing. This draft is going to be amazing. And, and frankly, when you look upon things retros- retrospectively, that's, that's kind of like it, it falls within a relative normal distribution of, of outcomes. Um, and that being said, you mentioned that situationally things matter for the prospect and, and it kind of where they end up. And, you know, one of my big things is I don't like drafting for fit, especially as high as, you know, when you have the 10th pick, 
when you when you look at the Pelicans and and kind of what their roster is made of and kind of what you maybe hope their roster turns into, right? Not necessarily where it's at in its current form. What are who are some guys? You know, who's a, who's a handful of players that you may be thinking like, okay, at ten, I'd be I'd be excited to pick them. Not that like, oh, I'm not going to argue against it. Be like, no, I'd I'd be happy with this guy at ten. Uh, probably Franz Wagner is probably my my guy at ten. Um, you know, big wing, six nine, good defender. Um, like he covers everything defensively. Um, as a shooter on the offensive end, he didn't shoot that great this year, but going through his junior years, I mean, every year, it's like he's been around the scene since like 2016 internationally. Um, he's always been referred to as a shooter. Like he's going to shoot, I, I believe. So he's been my number one guy. Um, I think there's always a role for big wings in the league as well. Do you feel like he has star equity or like what's his, what's his outcome? Do you feel like his 95th percentile outcome? And then like, what do you think his, his floor is? Um, so the star outcome, I, maybe a one, two-time all-star. I know that's not really what you want to be picking in the lottery, but um, towards, you know, if you get something in the upper levels of that outcome, you're getting an elite role player off the catch. He can, you know, attack closeouts, um, shoots, defends at a high level defensively. It's not going to be an all-star player. I mean, you might want to shoot for an all-star level player, um, which you probably won't get, but you can definitely try. Like I'm all for shooting for upside. I just want to be somewhat realistic with the guys that are going to, still going to be available at 10. Um, and then as far as his floor goes, I mean, he's probably not an NBA player at his floor. Um, just being realistic again. I mean, yeah, he's a great defender, but um, on the offensive end, there's probably some questions. What does he actually do if he doesn't shoot? Um, it's probably the answer is probably not much. If you were if you were trying to grab a guy at ten, uh, or who you think could could be available there, where you're all you're doing is saying who's the best chance to really to to be an, a, a star, and even if the even the bus potential is huge, is there a guy that you feel like is like is is a is a real big boom bust type risk risk reward, or is is that really not realistic in your mind? I probably said about Keon Johnson. So from Tennessee, um, he's set the um, all-time max vert record at the combine, 48 inches. Um, so he will be a good defender coming in. So he will have that going for him. But on offense, he's raw. He can basically, he's only shown flashes of things. He's shown some some passing. Like He mainly attacks in transition. Um, you know, he's a like pretty bad shooter like but from mid-range he's shown some shot making ability shown some all flashes of stuff I mean if he puts it together you're probably looking at you know an all-star guy but it probably won't happen so my my pushback is do is this one of those situations where we look at a guy like okay well he has all the physical tools he has um you know he has the the vert he has the lateral speed he has the quickness and then there's a lot of basketball tools and basketball layers we got to add to this person for him to reach a star outcome. Do you feel like teams overvalue that in a sense, whereas you may have someone who's less explosive, but way more skilled and, and way more, you know, he knows how to play basketball at, at a higher level. Do you feel like those players are underrated 
one and two, you know, is that, I guess, is, is Wagner one of those type of players or do you have others in mind that at 10 who could potentially, you know, step in, be contributors, but also have the star upside just because of like the ridiculous amount of skill they have? Yeah, I definitely think um, skilled players get underrated. Um, you go look at the top guys in the draft, like um, Jalen Greens, who's a crazy athlete. I mean, Kate Cunningham's not a crazy athlete, but he's a six eight guy, a point guard who shoots 40% from three. Um, Evan Mobley's a crazy athlete, physical tools. Jalen Suggs, pretty good athlete again. Um, but then those guys deserve to be at the top. So when you go down, you're still getting teams that, based on the mock drafts, are looking for athleticism. Um, and I do think teams do overrate that because, I mean, if you do want a star player, the easiest path for them really to get there is to be a great athlete and then have the skills. But yeah, a lot of players don't have the athleticism but still have the skills. And that's probably not, you're not probably not getting a, you know, six-time all-star from a, um, like an unathletic guy, but you can probably get, you know, a two-time all-star maybe. I mean, that's still a great outcome if you're picking at 10. And some guys I like like that are um, Jaden Springer, so Cam Johnson's teammate at Tennessee. He's one of the youngest players in the draft, but he also is incredibly skilled, which is I'm a big fan of him. The the two players I was looking at when, when in terms of skills, one, you know, your, your fellow countryman, Josh Giddy. And do you, one, do you, do you feel like he can, he will be there at 10 or like, or do you, are you like confident that, okay, like some team's probably going to snatch him up, but what can you, can you talk about a little bit of his upside and, and what maybe his, I guess, fully formed version looks like in the NBA, because the skill, the skill appeal is pretty enticing in, in my opinion at, at his size. And then obviously Pelicans pan, fan favorite is, is Corey Kispert, right? And he's his calling card is shooting. And, and he's a really probably the best shooter in his class, especially, you know, he can, he can pull up, he can do it off the move. He can do it off screens. So he's a pretty versatile shooter. Um, but yeah, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on those two players. Yeah. So Giddy, I've seen him for a few years now is he was a late bloomer. So he was pretty small or not small, but undersized compared to what he is now. He's grown, he's added the skill. Um, he's a great pass, probably the best passer in the draft when you consider his height as well. Um, the issue for me with Giddy is his scoring. So uh, as a 6'8 guy, 6'9", if you're you know, around that, um, he doesn't really shoot the ball at a great percentage. He will attempt him. He's picked up his percentage, but his form, he needs a lot of work. Um, if you can get him there to shoot the ball, then yeah, he'll be great. But um, there's some pretty big concerns about his shooting for me. Um, yeah, as a playmaker, though, if I don't really know what he will look like because you're looking at a 6'8 guy who's not that athletic. Um, sorry. Um, he's not that athletic, but he's a great playmaker getting downhill off screens. So I know you don't really want that guy running your offense, but... Do you, so do you play him alongside other great playmakers and then you've just got an abundance of playmaking out there? It's not really a bad situation at all. And then um, Kispert, so he's, yeah, like you said, one of the best shooters um, 
I think everyone on Twitter just Pelicans have Zion, so give him shooting. Um, he is a great shooter. He's one of the older prospects. Um, I'm not really a fan of drafting older prospects, but you know he is a great shooter. He'll play a role. Um, I could definitely see him working out. Yeah, got it. Um, so I guess like uh, another other question would be um, any thoughts around uh, if the Pelicans were to trade. I mean, I think we can. I think it might be a, a stretch to say the Pelicans are going to look to trade up, but if we, um, you know, if, if Pelicans were to trade back, is that, is that something, uh, a move you would uh, be a fan of? And if so, I mean, I know it's circumstantial depending on what, what's the return, but um, any guys that really you think are being going to be undervalued who might be good value if you trade back in the draft? Yeah. So trade back, it's an interesting idea. Um, I think the main value you get when you trade back is if you identify a tier group of players they like they'll have similar outcomes but they do have different values um according to their draft capital where you pick them on the board so 10 if you say there's guys back to 16 that are in a similar group the players you like then trade back grab a guy you think's pretty similar value and you can pick up some more another pick or you know might be a dumper contract something like that um so there's value to be had in that um as some guys that you know, you could look for back there. Um, JT Thor, he's really rising up draft boards. Um, uh, Trey Murphy, um, three and so Jay, assume, assume we know nothing about these. I mean, I know about these guys. Assume Mason knows nothing about these guys. Fair um, assumption, by the way. Go ahead. <laughs> assume Mason knows nothing about these guys. Who is JT Thor and, and what does he do? And then obviously who is Trey Murphy and what does he do? Okay, yeah. So JT Thor um, played for Auburn. Um, six eight guy. Um, his measurables are really similar to Paul Reed from Philadelphia. Um, defensively, you know, he's you know great defender. Um, all the physical tools, um, and then offensively, that's where everyone will love the flashes. So you know, he'll have some step back threes that are just like how's a guy his size making these off the dribble. But it's really flashes with him. But um, he is one of the youngest players in the draft. So it turns out they actually got his um, birth year wrong. So he's actually born in 2002. So he's like younger than some of the international guys, which is pretty crazy. And then Trey Murphy, he's a um, 3 and D guy from Virginia. Um, defensively, he was in the Virginia system. Um, there's some questions about how that translates to the NBA. But um, then on the offensive end, though, he's you know a great, great three-point shooter. So when, when it comes to, again, like one of the, one of the, you talked about identifying a particular group of players with maybe similar outcomes, when it comes to specific skill sets, do you, are, are there, are there skill sets in mind that you prioritize higher when it comes to the draft? Are you looking more holistically as, as a, at at the player and, and their ceiling and are there skill sets you would prioritize higher specifically with regards to the Pelicans so I ask this because you know I'm looking at the playoffs I look at the value of shot making and and what you're seeing is guys who can dribble pass and shoot and you're seeing the guys who are at the top tier of that um, basically become unguardable because of their pull-up shooting so how do you feel about the pull-up shooters in this class that you know would either be available at 10 or maybe available down the draft and who, who would you consider to be some of the better ones? And, and do you feel like the Pelicans should maybe rearrange where they're selecting on the board 
to to nab some of them yeah so self-creation and like is pretty key right now as you said um as far as pull-up shooting goes you have to be pretty select with the players you do choose to believe in as pull-up shooters um a lot of self-creation at the college level can just be inefficient like chucking the ball up um there's that's not really going to translate to the NBA unless you do it at a really high level. Um, you can take a gamble on those guys and just hope they work out, but it's not really something you want to be spending a, a ton of draft capital on. Um, as far as the best pull-up shooters go, I think Max Asimus, um, he went on that crazy um, run in March Madness. He's actually measured out to be five ten and a half. So, so he's one of the better pull-up shooters in the draft, but... I just don't see how a player that small can be effective. But then um, other pull-up shooters. So I'm completely blinking right now. Bones Highland, Trey Mann. Yes. yes. How do you feel about, do you feel, so I, I like Bones a lot and he looks like he's been doing well in the combine. Um, people say he might be moving on to the first round. Do you, do you see, do you see Bones translating? Um, and if you had to kind of rank, you know, someone like Bones with, with Trey Mann out of Florida, uh, do you have a preference on on the guys? Yeah, I like Bones as well. Um, first round grade, that seems pretty pretty accurate right now. Um, I mean, scouts are saying that he's moving up to there, but I'm sure a lot of guys already have him there. Um, in the NBA, you know, he's shooting NBA range threes already, like pull up NBA range threes in college. I'm sure there's going to be no questions about that translating over. He has the height um, to basically play on the ball. Like, I think he's around 6'3". I'm not sure on that. Um, as far as him and Trey Mann go, I do prefer Bones. Um, I do like Mann as well. I just have some questions about Mann, about actually having the athleticism and burst to um, play with the ball in his hands and actually to be able to create those pull-up opportunities. I think that's totally fair. I know I know um, Mason is very intimately familiar with these prospects, so he was dying to know where you stood on them as well. Um, sorry, Mason. <laughs> All good. <laughs> sorry. No. Now on to Sleeper. Sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. I use it for mine. It's a game changing product unlike anything else in the industry. And now you can make money on Sleeper too by playing their new over under game. It's super simple. First, in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick the over or under. For example, number of points in basketball or hits in baseball. Then choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times the money you put in. The main reason I'm excited about over under on sleeper. It's the only app where I can join my buddy's contest and play together. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my friend's picks with the tap of a button. It's insanely fun to ride it out together. Stop what you're doing and download sleeper now to play their new over under game and have fun with your friends. And most importantly, make some money. Make sure you use that promo code blue wire and sleeper will match your deposit up to $100. Again, download sleeper, then use promo code blue wire. When you deposit terms and conditions apply, see sleepers terms of use for details. Oh, but so I think, you know, I think what we're getting in is we're, we're getting in kind of the weeds of this draft a little bit. And I like that because the Pelicans have a million second round picks. Well, they have four to be specific with, with regards to the second round. Um, I, I think, you know, the hit rate is so little 
are so small in the second round for, for across the league, you have to kind of rearrange your philosophy when it comes to, to, to drafting people. What, what is your philosophy in the second round? And, and are there players you're keen on, uh, especially with regards to the Pelicans? Yes, in the second round, I tend to have a similar approach. I mean, if you like a guy in the second round, um, I usually like to target international guys. You can think in a couple of years, you know, if you stash them, um, they could return first round value. I think it's, uh, you see it pretty often, like team stashing players. Uh, we did it with Didi. Um, and then, but I still also like um, targeting a guy you think will have a solid chance as an NBA player. Um, I don't know how you, I prefer, I don't actually know how I prefer to, um, which players I prefer. Like if you get an early second round pick, I think I'd probably prefer the NBA chance over the stash guy. But if you have like a real high potential second round pick and you're just seeing other teams just missing something with him, um, you probably just have to go get that guy. I mean, second round picks towards the top, sure, they're kind of valuable, but they do lose value pretty quickly as you go down the second round. Um, some second round guys. So I do a lot of international scouting and there are a few guys that I really like in this international class when it does start getting down to the second rounds. Um, so I'm sure there's definitely going to be some opportunities if we do keep the picks because it's probably pretty likely we do trade a fair few of these picks if we even make a pick at all. Um, but Rokas Jokubaitis, um, his Lithuanian 6'4 point guard. Um, what? Sorry, I just got the word notification. Uh, and Uh-oh, what did Woj say? Who got uh, traded? Jason Kidd. No, Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd. I knew it. I knew it. Oh my gosh. That's sorry. We could talk about this because this is uh, <laughs> a, a basketball podcast. Oh my gosh. Um, thank you for actually noticing the Woj bomb. I had my phone on do not disturb oh. and my goodness. Good for the Mavericks. This Just is first class organization. <laughs> who, who They said they are hiring a new, they, they didn't even mention the GM. Who is the new GM? Is it, is it Harlebob? <laughs> oh my god what a oh man that's funny that's really funny Kane I'm, I'm sure you absolutely love Jason Kidd yeah no <laughs> oh my god. anyways um sorry you were you talk about Rokas and um that's a that's a player that I've seen a lot of draft Twitter pretty high on um where where do you feel like his strengths lie and, and do you feel like he needs a couple of years before he can, can come over to, to the States and, and contribute to a team. Uh, so as a playmaker, he's great at the pick and roll. Um, he's a good pull-up shooter, especially from mid-range. Um, as a passer, he is amazing. Um, I first got to see him a few years ago at the under-19s in person. Um, he was playing against the American team there. Like They had a loaded team, Cade Cunningham, like basically the top four picks, um, Cara, Halliburton, everyone. And Rokas looked like one of the better prospects there. Um, so right now there's rumours of him going, I don't know if it's confirmed, but there's rumours of him going to Barcelona um, from his team in Lithuania. So Barcelona are a top team in Europe. Um, so if you do draft him, then you know that he will be safe um, in uh, Barcelona. So I'm pretty sure he's going to be playing a similar role to Leandro Balmaro 
he got drafted last year. He'll be coming over the states. And how is Bomaro doing? Have you have you kept up with him? Any? Uh, he was one of my favorites in the draft last year. You know you know how he's doing. Yeah, he's doing well. He'll be over um, next year. Has he has he figured has he figured out a shot? Not really, no. Okay. Well. Okay. Well, that's good <laughs> to know. Um, are there other other international players? So, like one, you know, one one in the first round, I really have my eyes on is is Usman uh, Garuba, who I think is all. Uh, with with Real Madrid if I am not mistaken and then um that's that's the one I have my eyes on obviously in the first round I don't know if he's worth trading back to or not in your opinion and then are there others like I guess in the second round that you can see maybe going the stash route that you know teams might be uh overlooking so maybe you know I I think there's there's a few centers um but yeah I'm, I'm gonna let you talk about that yeah, um, Gruber, yeah, he's with Real Madrid. He's been with them for ages, um, playing in that first team for a couple of years now um, at a young age. He's really impressive over there in Europe. Um, he's one of the better defenders in the class as a help defender um, and a rim protector. He is a bit undersized to be a true centre. So, sorry. Um, yeah, he's a bit undersized to be a true centre. Um, but defensively, he'll make all the right rotations, um, and then offensively, that's where the real questions come in. Uh, he's shown to be more willing as a shooter this year. Um, but, yeah, there's not a real whole lot that he does on offense. He's going to have to shoot um, to be valuable. Um, as far as trading down, if he is available, like, towards the 20s, I'd be more than happy to draft Gruber around there. And then some guys in the second round, um, international guys. Uh, another draft Twitter favorite, uh, Vrenz, Vrenz Blindberg. Um, 6'10", playmaker, um, kind of a dribble pass shoot guy um, at 6'10". He shoots a really funny. Um, it's basically like a young like high school Lamello ball that he shoots it like, which is really funny from a 6'10 guy. Um, <laughs> but he's really good. I've seen a lot of draft tip, uh, Twitter um, talk about friends. Is he? Do you feel like he's going to be someone that, you know more of the stash route or, or teams are going to be able to kind of get him in their system even if they have to you know bring him down to the g league a couple times or whatnot um wh- where do you feel like his readiness is at uh, you probably want to bring him over just to get him into an nba weight room you probably will have to leave him in the um in the j league for a while he's super skinny at 610 and um but yeah the upside with him is pretty crazy so yeah you want to bring him over hopefully keep him in j league the the last international prospect I wanted to ask you about, and this is one of my favorite prospects in in the whole NBA uh, in the whole draft. That's that's Alperen Sengun, and um, I know you know I've seen mixed reviews. I've seen him as you know low as like twenty eight on people's boards. I've seen him as high as like seven on people's boards. For me, he's closer to seven than he is to twenty eight. I, I think the skill level there is absolutely high. I, I know that you're you're not like the biggest on him, but where where do you feel? you know, his bread and butter is going to be in the NBA. He is one of the younger, youngest prospects. Uh, you know, I think he's, he's 18 and his production is in uh, the Turkish league is, is held up really well relative to other European bigs who've been successful in the NBA. But um, where are you at on him? And uh, again, is this a situation? Cause I, I look at some players that I'm personally high on, right? So if the Pelicans, for example, at 10 can trade back for 16 and 18 with OKC and, um, and, and those are the two, uh, I guess, draft slots. 
you know, w would that be a situation you'd be comfortable, like, you know, taking a guy like, I don't know, like Kispert and then Garuba or like Kispert and Sangoon or something, you know, like some combination of, of those players that you may not necessarily take 10, but, you know, you now you get two bites at the apple over there. Yeah, I, I like that idea. Trading back 16, 18, I think it'd be great value from the 10 pick. Um, you can probably go get your guy that you like and then go a bit riskier with the other one. Um, yeah, so I do like that. I'd be able to get two bites at it. Um, and then Shengun. Um, so I'm not the highest on him because I don't really know what he does in the NBA. I mean, he's incredibly skilled. Um, he's a dominant post player in Turkey. He was the MVP there as an 18-year-old. Um, put up crazy numbers. The production is, like, for an 18-year-old, is there's no one really does it in Turkey, at least. Um but yeah, so he's a post player. Um, he's a great passer out of the post. Um, he's shown some flashes of um, attacking closeouts, going uh, step back three, shot one of them in a Euro qualifier. Um, and then the thing I really, really want to see him at the NBA level do is to basically use as a dribble handoff uh, hub, um, getting fake and dribble handoffs, going downhill. He's a great decision maker. Um, I know there's a lot of concerns about his athleticism, but something he does really well is he'll be going at full speed and all of a sudden he'll just stop, like just avoid charges. Um, so yeah, getting going downhill, making decisions. Um, defensively is where the questions are going to be. He knows what to do most of the time when an island he'll send it like the um, opposing player the way he wants. He's very good at that, but he does struggle with flipping his hips. So if you get a, point guard out there attacking his lead leg um that he'll get crossed over it's gonna happen um but yeah if he can hold up defensively um he'll be really interesting with offensive end where he develops into yeah. i that's i think that the expertise that you you call out there it's is great you know it, talking about footwork and things little little things that uh you know we may not even notice watching a game as, as casual fans but um, it's, it's, it's a little things like that that can make you good or, or a good or bad defender. So, um, I, I think one, one topic we wanted to hit on before we wrap this up, uh, apart from the draft was, um, the Pelicans late season edition, uh, of, of Didi. Um, so as someone who got a chance to really watch him in person, watch him, um, you know, uh, locally, I mean, what any, anything, I, I know you've kind of shared your thoughts, um, you know, previously, uh, in written form, but. Anything you got for the fans to uh, really talk about what he's going to bring to the team, what you think his potential is, um, you know, from what you've seen? Yeah, I love Diddy. Um, just the defensive intensity, it's really fun. Um, he'll just chase guys over top screens. He just does not get screened. Um, it's super fun to watch. Um, he needs to get better offensively. But down the line, you're looking at a guy you can probably put on as like a ball stopper type, um, just trailing guys over screen, just trying to make it harder for offensive players. Um, I don't know where you work out to be. Um, it's kind of interesting, I thought, with the Pelicans only signing to like a one-year deal for next year, basically. I don't know what your guys' thoughts on that is. but um, I do have yeah. thoughts on that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, as a 3 and D guy, I mean, I'm sure it can be a rotation player if he develops the three ball. Yeah, so I think with the one-year deal um... – they're going to be able to to re-sign him fairly quickly. I, I think the you know they, they didn't get bird rights on him. I don't think they care for the bird rights because they know in all likelihood his 
his salary is not going to be, you know, exceeding the the league average, which is around like 10 millions or so, whatever, which is what's going to come with the non-bird. Um, and, and so it, I think his contract, you know, it's, it's either they just to take the hit on the option this summer and then, you know, use, um, use the MLE to get a new deal done or use non-bird to get a new deal done because he did have years of service at the end of the, at the end of the, of the year, you know, he played a couple games or, you know, they, they just keep him at his current rate and then they work uh, a new contract out. But either way, I mean, I think his, his, he's, he's going to be around as long as they want him around. And if they don't want him around, then, you know, he probably wasn't good enough to make it. Maybe, maybe, I mean, maybe he ends up being good enough, but that's, that's what it is. But, you know, we love DD on the podcast, but I want to ask a couple fun questions for you. One, you know, with, with everything swirling around, um, how, what would be your reaction if Damian Lillard requested a trade and the Pelicans were able to pull that off? I'd be very, very excited. Um, what's it take to get him there? Let's say, let's say it takes Ingram and a few picks, you know, like let's say, the, you know, whatever, let's just say the Pelicans are able to beat everyone's offer because Ingram is the trump card and, you know, they have the draft capital necessary, but they're able to, you know, they have 11 first round picks in the next seven years. You know, they're, let's say they're able to hold on to like at least seven or eight of those. Yeah. That's amazing. Cool. Cool. I mean, what, do you have any specific thoughts on what, what the Lillard Zion pairing would look like in your mind? I don't really know how you got that. Um, you get Lillard as the ball handler, Zion center screen, like on the logo. I mean, what do you do there? Just space the floor. I mean, yeah. So the complete opposite of that question is what would be your reaction if the Pelicans went into uh, next year and, you know, Lonzo ball is their starting point guard and then Nikhil is their starting two guard and then Jackson is their starting center. And, and effectively that's their starting lineup with, with Ingram and Zion. And there's no you know major acquisition made. Um, I was slightly disappointed, probably more than slightly. Um, I do like the young guys, but I mean, we have to do something if we want to keep Zion. Really, that's just how it is. Are you personally concerned with the reports that that came out around Zion? And and if you were in in a decision making role, would you do moves that appease him, or would you just be like, whatever? I'm trying to build the best team possible. Um. That's something I've actually thought about a fair bit. Um, so as far as um, winning goes, how good does the team have to be to be considered a winning team, like if you believe the reports? Um, Great question. I don't really know how to answer that. I don't I don't know if anyone does. It, it seems like a intentionally vague term, right? So it, it gives you an out no matter what. Like, let's say, like, you know, you win in the first round. Is, is that good enough? Or did you lose in the first round? Is that good enough? And is that going to be one of the situations where you could be like, yeah, 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 man, it was totally good. All those other news are, you know, like that, the news that came out last year was, was completely bullshit. You like deny, 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 or, you know, if depending on how things went, you're like, ah, actually it's not good enough. I want blah, 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 or I won't sign. I don't know. It just seems intentionally vague for that reason. It lets you, lets you wiggle out of anything. At least that's my read of anything. Yeah, that makes sense. It's tough. And I feel like, I feel like this season more than anything has made that even tougher. I mean, like you look, 
you, you look at the teams in the playoffs right now in the conference finals and there are teams that you know, it's young players like, like Booker and Trey Young and yeah, Andre Aiden. I mean, all these guys. And, and, and so if you're sitting there as Zion, I mean, even guys like Luca, you're sitting there and look, looking at this and saying, you know, why, why shouldn't this be me? And so um, who knows what winning means? Um, it, it's it, like you said, it's intentionally vague, but um, the, the more that the league kind of opens up and, and, and it stops becoming the same two teams or three teams in there every year, um, the more players will want to get get their way get their get their way in there and play deep in the playoffs. So um, it's gonna be gonna be interesting. Yeah, I think we're we're headed to a pretty interesting time of star empowerment. I mean, it's always it's kind of been trending ever since I don't know for a long time actually. I, I can't pinpoint when it really culminated, but. I think what's happening is, is you're seeing timelines shorten, shorten, kind of what we started off uh, talking about in the beginning. And even, even the loyalty of guys such as Damian Lillard is being tested. Um, I think what happens in their coaching search is probably going to inform what he's going to do next, which is very interesting to watch play out because publicly it's been reported that their owner wants Becky Hammond. And then he's kind of indicated he likes Chauncey Billups. So who wins that? I mean, the owner at the end of the day is the the key decision maker, but as an owner, as a billionaire, are you so stubborn to piss off your star? I don't know. You do have the most amount of money. Like, you know, the Allens are filthy rich. They're some of like the wealthiest family in, in one of the wealthiest families in the world. So maybe she feels like she doesn't have to answer to someone who's worth even a fraction of her net, net worth and she doesn't care. It's her little, you know, project. She can do what she wants. Or maybe she's just really passionate about it and not having Chauncey Billups in the building because he comes with some baggage as well, to, to put it lightly. Uh, I don't know. And, and as much as I root for chaos with other teams, I can't help but wonder if me rooting for chaos is me inadvertently rooting for Zion to pull the same stuff because, one – I think the more stars that do this, other stars would feel emboldened and empowered, uh, perhaps even to team up. And two, what what I'm interested in is if that, you know, if that were to happen, let's say there's, let's say Donovan Mitchell is unhappy. Let's say Carl Towns, Carl Towns has been there for a while. So I think he has his legitimate reasons, but you know, Donovan Mitchell just signed his extension. Let's say he's unhappy. Luca is about to sign his extension. Hasn't signed it yet. He is unhappy. You know, let's say these guys, you know, take their, the money and then, you know, year one in their extension, they're asking out what, where does that leave the ownership landscape? I feel like that's going to lead to pretty big lockouts. And if those guys are going to pull moves like that, I feel like, I feel like just because everything goes wrong for the Pelicans, Zion's going to look at that and be like, Hey, I can do that too. So ultimately why like we, me rooting for chaos, I feel like, a pro, it's, it's it's an own goal almost because Zion's on this team and he's probably like watching how the league shapes itself out. But I, I feel like if enough of these people do it, ownerships, um, you know, the next when the CBA is next being negotiated, I think in a couple of years, there's going to be a lockout and there's going to be, it's not going to be good for, for the players. Um, I don't think. And what ends up happening is that 
it's the, the stars are never the players that really feel the brunt of of the the negotiations it's the the like the middle class players and the and the bottom you know like the minimum level players but i don't know i mean i rambled a little bit do you have do you have any thoughts on, on that Kane? because i feel like you know this is a, a good way to go full circle on this podcast and bring the topic back to what it was in the beginning um not really honestly i don't really know too much about the lockouts and that like i can't really comment on that i'm sorry no, that that's that's no problem at all. But do you do you feel I guess not specifically about the lockouts, but do you do you wonder if if more and more stars do this? Like, is there a part of you that wonders if Zion is about to do the same thing? Yeah, well, I mean, I forget who's always saying it, but um, I'm pretty sure it's one of the Bourbon Street shots guys. Um, they're saying they're just waiting for the first guy to sign a one year um one year deal off their rookie contract like someone's going to do it at some stage it's going to start a trend where guys will get out of bad situations yeah mason do you do you have any final thoughts on that yeah i mean it's 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 tough it's um I, I, I feel you on the fact that you don't want to root for something that, that could end up happening to you. Um, I feel like it happens a lot. We, I feel like Pelicans fans in general have gotten better about like rooting for chaos and other small markets and, and like, are just like drama is fun in the NBA. Like the new cycle comes when games aren't being played, but at the same time, I think we, we've come to realize that if it's, if it's happening to their small market team, it's kind of like it's happening to you and you, you want to be like, almost want to be respectful of that. Cause you're all dealing with the same shit. Um, so I really, I do think, you know, I'm not, I'm not rooting for like bad things to happen to, to Portland necessarily, but, um, you know, I, at this point you got to look out for yourselves and whatever, whatever's best for the Pelicans at this point, um, uh, beyond, you know, beyond hiring a guy like Jason Kidd, <laughs> um, you know, whatever's best to, for, to keep Zion, um, keep him happy, keep him in New Orleans is, is kind of what I'm pulling for. So, um, you know, that, that, that's where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's very much an element of man, look, I can't control what I can't control. So can't spend time worrying about, you know, those type of things. And, but I can, you know, I can try to enjoy the moment. And right now the moment is chaos. And so that's kind of what's going on. You know, we're watching the Dallas Mavericks hire Jason. Oh, they haven't officially hired and they're closing in on hiring Jason Kidd and a new GM who is yet to be named. And and I just find it hilarious that they keep on referring to this guy as an unnamed GM, which I think it's going to be Utah's Dennis Lindsay, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, Interesting. Interesting. Fun stuff. Fun (laughs) stuff. Kane, I appreciate you waking up early and talking to us about the draft. I think your insight's invaluable. I think more people need to follow you. Actually, why don't you tell us where to find you? Uh, Twitter at Kane underscore Pernell. Yep. And we're, we're going to blast the social out as well. When we publish the podcast, we'll probably have Kane on a few more times, especially uh, if the Pelicans make some interesting moves in the draft or post draft, you know, if we, they actually end up with the rookie uh, to discuss this and Kane, once again, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate you coming on here and educating us on all aspects of this draft. Thanks for having me guys.
What's up, everybody? I'm Bladen. I'm Matt. And I'm Theo. And we are Stay Hot, the only podcast that gives you the hottest analysis and takes on the NFL and NBA all year round. I know that there's a lot of losers and haters out there who don't think three sports TikTokers can hang for a full pod, but, you know, we're going to prove them all wrong. We're about to dive deep into the NFL draft and are already hitting the NBA playoffs. So watch Stay Hot on YouTube or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.